Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 462 of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Heezy, and I'm joined by a man that is here to tempt you with the one ring. It's all he did all day long, Mason Clark. <laughs> hey, y'all. Yeah, Spencer, I, uh, I did a live stream Spencer was uh, watching today where me and my friend Trey, former co-host of the show, were playing some paper Lord of the Rings modern. I played a lot of the one ring deck. Spencer, I got to get your opinion. I know in chat you were joking about how last week on the show we were talking about someone's got to prove it. Did I budge you any? Did I, did I tempt you? Where were you at? I would say I'm still not convinced in the Felidar deck. Uh, okay. I think that it does seem really good in like Turbo Fog decks. Mm-hmm. Like of any style. And also like that Taking Turns deck. It made a lot of sense in that deck, uh, and the thing the thing that some of those decks sometimes have a really hard time doing is actually like having enough of it at all times, mm-hmm. right? And so whether it's Turbo Fog or whether it's a turn deck, oftentimes they're like it's basically the same thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. That I mean that that sounded really good. I, I mean it looked really good. Um, one of the things that uh, I really like about that and like. I obviously, I actually think that deck might have some legs. One of the really interesting mm-hmm. things that I was thinking is like, it, that deck also could play like the one mana counter spell with Snapcaster Mage mm-hmm. and really go ham. Like between bolts and that, like just nothing's happening yeah. for the beginning of the game. So yeah, I put a bunch of cryptics on my deck because I wanted to be able to bounce the one ring, and they're like many time walks against creature decks. And I, I think just having like. Two of them is fine or whatever, sure. and cutting down the cards. I thought I needed the cards. Winning was did not feel like an issue, which I thought it was going to be. So I think just cutting some of the superfluous stuff and having more interaction is sweet. But that's a that's a different conversation for different things, Spencer. Because they're going to talk about playtesting cards and preparing for tournaments and preparation. Yeah. Before we do that, though, let's talk about always improving. It is the point of the show. Every week, we want to be doing what we can to get better and share that journey with the listeners. Uh, one of the most common pieces of feedback we get is this is people's favorite segment. They're in their car. They prepared. They're always improving. They 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 self internalize and like what was my always improving this week as they listen to the show. And every time somebody says that to me, Mason like warms my heart. I'm like, oh man, that's so cool. Yeah, uh, it is really. What is uh, what's yours this week? Uh, my always improving moment really comes from just like the Lord of the Rings set and really thinking about it a bunch more. I and especially like so. I, let me rewind. So it, it's based on Lord of the Rings thing about modern stuff. So we did our set review last week. It was it's always cool to hear what other people think. You know, you have your own thoughts and opinions. It's I think why set review episodes are also so cool. It's like what can people do? And Aspiring Spike did a slideshow. I don't know if you've seen these, Spencer. Every time a set drops, he does a slideshow uh, about like what he thinks is going to make an impact in modern specifically. And he has kind of like things that he's like really confident in and like brew ideas. And it's really cool to sort of see his entire ideas behind stuff. And he was also kind of a, like, I think the One Ring is good. I don't know what to do with it, blah, blah, blah. And when talking, sorry, when watching that video, it got me sort of talking about, like, okay, what can you do with the One Ring? And it got me to the spot of, like, something I never would have considered, which was, like, a turns deck. Because it got me thinking, like, what does the card actually do? And how does it actually play? And that was a good always pretty moment of, like, I had done a really good job of doing a bad thing, which is I put a card in a shoebox in my head and sort of stored it away. And I was like, oh, yeah, the One Ring, 
that's going to be good for Karn wishes. That's great. And I didn't fully consider like, well, what if I play it without Karn or in other contexts and stuff? And the whole exploring that I think is really helpful. And it's important not to, I, I should say that it's a good tool to mentally like shoebox a card. And I talk about this in coaching where, you know, a card like uh, rest in peace is good against graveyard decks or whatever. But sometimes your rest in peace is going to be good against an aggro deck. Uh, for like some weird various reason and you should consider it right like a license hearse is a good example of this you can bring in a license hearse against a graveyard deck but also if you're playing against a control deck with a bunch of sweepers you might want on license hearse instead of one of your kill spells so uh just think about that and that way was a really good improving moment for me personally of like oh yeah i need to like really explore and turn these things and like end up in some spots i hadn't thought of before yeah, I think that I had a moment like that way back in the day with Rekindling Phoenix and understanding, like, mm. all of the different decks, like, that want Rekindling Phoenix. And uh, obviously, that format turned out to be, like, a Rekindling Phoenix format in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, knowing that it was good in mid-range, good in aggro, um, and, and kind of seeing the different ways that you could play that card, and it's, like it being good against all of those other things too was really impactful. Yeah. What was your eyes and brewing moment? Yeah. So this week I've been really focused on uh, a couple of things. The first was, well, I think the, the biggest thing I'll just stick with one. It was uh, focused on mono green in, um, in pioneer and under helping myself under like try new cards not be stuck on stock stuff. Like I can always go back to the stock lists. So I've tried probably all of the battles that you could try. I've tried, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of the gorilla. Togla? No, it's green, green, green two for a five, seven. And then whenever you cast a creature, you either gain four life. Oh, silverback. Yeah, thank you. I thought it was silverback, but. Um, as well as trying different things with like, um, oh my gosh, now I can't remember the name of the eight drop that has unearth. Uh, it's cityscape leveler. Yeah, li- cityscape leveler in the main. We should play serrate with each other. It's just wild. <laughs> uh, I, I turn on the podcast and I just forget the names of magic cards for. Some, it's like a mental block. I have no idea why. Um, but yeah, I, I've just been trying lots of different ways to build the deck and different cards in different moments. Uh, Explore actually helps with this a lot because you don't have Oath of Nyssa, so you get to play around with the flex slots quite a bit. Um, But yeah, just trying to suss out, like, what do I like, why do I like it, and where do I like it is, you know, something that I haven't done in a long time. Like, oftentimes, uh, I only get to that level of stuff when preparing for a big tournament, but because the next couple weeks will be... Lord of the Rings, I have a lot of time to dive into Pioneer uh, for RCQs, so. Nice. Are you doing any Lord, are you going to play any of the Lord of the Rings RCQs now, or are you just going to skip them? Well, uh, I will probably play some if I like the limited format. I have a bunch of uh, draft and sealed uh, tokens on Arena, so I'll try it out and see what I think. High value, that that said, I think is a little bit more gold, too. You're just gaming the system, I love it. And I love that always in print moment, too. Testing the flex slots and stuff like that is very important, especially when like it's forced on you. But uh, you know, it's like making uh, lemons out of lim- we're making lemonade out of lemons. Uh, so I-, I like that a lot. It's a good one. 
Uh, let's see here. No Patreon shoutouts this week, but if you want to support the show, head on over to patreon.com slash ccmtg. We read every single patron that comes, that joins the week that they join. Um, and then, uh, small update to the Patreon that we'll announce here. Uh, if we pick your question for the Patreon question, I will message you on Patreon and you will get a discount code for the swag store specific to you that will be larger than the Patreon discount that you already get. I'm thinking uh, I got to double check what the swag store will let me do. But uh, as, but uh, this week's it's starting this week. So uh, I'll be able to let you know in the message to the person we picked this week. Nice. Excited. You have to wait around to that part of the show to know if you got it. Or uh, look at your Patreon box, one of the two. Speaking of the swag store, I just want to remind everybody to check the Discord for your swag store discount. If you are a Patreon, head on over to constructorism.com uh, and hit the swag button to get your t-shirts, your water bottles, your desk mats. I gotta get it. I, I think I'm gonna get a desk mat for what it's worth, Mason. Because these playmats, these playmats are like just so much work to maintain, and the desk mat just fits better. We see. I have my failure RPTQ playmat here, where I uh, lost playing for the Pro Tour, and they gave me this stinky little playmat to remember it always, and I have it right here. That way, I don't forget. That's up here. I my I, that was on my desk. It is now. Right there. No, now they can watch over you. Yeah. Nice. It's good to have motivation. To be fair, that's look- got the my uh, RCQ top eight pins. Uh, I'm gonna try see if I can find my old PTQ top eight pins. Uh, mm-hmm. Like put all my failures on it. Just like really remind myself every time I look at my wall. Here's the question: We put the wins on there too? Nope. Nope. I like that. I like no, only that. failures. That's, that's a. I've got these like RCQ box because you know when you win the RCQ. Uh, Flex. They give you those little pin infinity boxes, and they're just in my closet. And I don't know what to do with them. So that's the thing is, like, I'm gonna put I'm gonna put my friends' stuff up there too yeah. for their failures. So like, you're sending mm-hmm. me a pin, and I don't want one of the one. I don't want the like a G one. Like, I want I don't want one where you qualify for the pro. You, you want the you want the name tag thingy. Yeah, 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 that's what I mean. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the like, thing is Abe's, Abe's. I'm not taking the one he just got. Like. Don't want it. You qualified for the Pro Tour. Not interested. Yeah. So, so yeah, you can get the, the bonus one. But yeah, I um, what's the call? I, I'm talking about the pins they give you for winning RCQs, like the like the Shieldred and the Fairy. Yeah, yeah, they. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, not that I understand the name tag thing too. I thought you were putting your pin. No, the, the, that too. has pins up there. There are. Oh, okay. It's a little hard to see. Okay, I kind of see it. Yeah. Good talk, good talk. Cool. Uh, and then yeah, kind of the good. final housekeeping thing before we move on to the main topic of the episode uh, is a Mythic Gaming soft launch. Mythic Gaming uh, is a a company that we're going to be working with to um, work with Patreon, basically, to make our Patreon better for our listeners. And we're going to do a soft launch with Playmats. But... I want to do a. I want to invite the listeners to submit playmat designs for constructive criticism. If you, uh, this is actually how we got our constructive criticism logo. For those who don't know, is we did a logo contest, and all of the awesome logos that we have for constructive criticism were done by the listeners. So um, I want to open it up to the listeners. If you want to help design the Patreon playmat, uh, or just you know any playmats that we can offer. 
just shoot us an email at ccmtg.info at gmail.com. And uh, if yours is picked, we'll give you a special prize. So, with that being said, let's move on to the main topic. How we playtest. I have a question, Mason. What do we mean playtest? Isn't isn't that just like when you and your friend stand at a table and you jam your decks against each other for two hours? Yeah, not quite. So playtesting is going in with a specific purpose. And the thing I often tell people is, you know, remember the scientific method in school, Spencer? And this honestly the way scientists do it, right? When they go in to test something, they don't just start throwing things around. You know, they don't have to take the baking powder and the soda and they just throw it in like, oh, what happens, you know? They have an idea and they formulate things and they have hypotheses and they come to a conclusion about it, right? Uh, and playtesting is sort of the testing part of that, right? But playtesting is a thing you're sitting down to solve a problem or to understand something or to figure out a matchup. And you're kind of coming in there and working on something and not just playing games. Playing games is fun. But if you're just playing there and not working towards things like we're going to talk about today, you're sort of just playing and not really play testing. To kind of separate this out, like we would typically have done like how we prepare, ways to prepare and things like that. I think play testing is kind of a small part of that. And this this may happen in different parts of preparation. Uh, you know, you might play test before a set comes out. You might play test uh, f- specific cards. You might play, play test uh, specific things and like, all of those things uh, we're going to try to cover, but it's different than like going and playing five leagues on Moto to see if you like a deck or see if you like cards in a deck. It is very prescriptive and kind of go back to, I think we did an episode on focus playtesting not too long ago. They might, or focus, uh, focus testing not too long ago. And this will be a little bit different than that. Mm-hmm. So uh first thing is times to play test we kind of covered that a little bit is there anything i didn't cover like times where you really need to go out of your normal routine and sit down and play test mason hmm good question my answer is probably outside of uh situations where like you're new to a deck or there's some huge changes i would say anytime you're going to a big event uh and for for what it's worth when i say a big event uh i personally mean like 14 rounds two days uh it could be something like an nrg it could be like an scg that's what i'm personally thinking of so you know do with that information what you will but if you're going to be like doing something that's a little bit bigger and that happens then you might want to play test but yeah unless like you're brand new to something or a new deck that sort of thing i think you listed all the big ones i could think of yeah i would i would say like if uh, you know when it, when a new set is coming out, so play testing often can happen before cards are released, where you're like, you know, you're now you're sharpie man, like let's go. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a, another another time is kind of like you said, like big events. Um, you know, a lot of people they're really comfortable just going into something like you know a MagicCon or an NRG or an MPX, just like with their pet deck, right? But if you're trying something new or you're um, trying to understand a specific problem, that's when this comes into play. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So uh, we're going to do this a little bit differently than our normal episodes where everything written down like as bullet points, and we're actually just going to talk about what we do individually. And Mason, I want to let you go first this week. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, behind the scenes, normally I have like blob ideas that you have to decode, like the DaVinci code. But this time I actually made bullet points. Uh, so it's funny how you're like, normally do bullet points, but not today. And I'm just doing it differently. So I, I think there are a couple things. And I said the first one here at the beginning. And Spencer, I'm going to tie you into these. So it's not just a TED Talk. So don't worry. Uh, 
the first thing, and I mentioned there, is like the scientific method, I think we should have a goal and something we're working towards and trying to figure out when we're playtesting most of the time. And Spencer, I don't want to steal a point from you, but there is a difference between testing cards and testing decks. I know you're going to talk about that more, so maybe wait around for that one. But let's have a goal in mind. So, for example, today's I did my stream with Trey. That was much more for fun than anything, but there was a little bit of like, okay, let's get our hands on the one ring. Right. And so it kind of like, you know, if I was looking at this as a more serious thing, I'd be like, okay, how did the one ring feel? Does it accomplish these sort of things I had in mind or whatever my deck is, right? Maybe it's Rhinos, maybe it's, you know, Rector Sacrifice or whatever in Pioneer, all those sort of things. You want to have a goal going to the session and then reflect on it. Your goal can be as simple as like, how does the deck feel? It could be how is, uh, how does this card line up against that card, right? It could be whatever it is, just have something. Um, and then from there, uh, this is kind of part 1D to this, is I, I am a bigger uh, believer in aggressively cheating and testing, especially if you are trying to test a specific card. Uh, you should be like making sure that you're actually playing games with that card. So what do I mean by cheating and aggressively cheating? I mean making sure that we actually find the card we want. So, for example, let's say Spencer is testing out a cyborg card against my Monogreen Devotion deck in Pioneer, right? If we just shuffle up and play a bunch of games, we're not drawing the card. That's not a very good use of our time. I would personally prefer once we everything gets strong to have Spencer have it in his hand or make us make him draw it by like turn three or four and then see how the games play out. Uh, a similar thing is like, you know, if we're playing and Spencer draws a bunch of lands in a row, I'd much rather him be like, hey, buddy, like I've just drawn four lands in a row. I'm going to scry to a spell. And like, you know, it's a good data point for you that, yeah, you ran me out of resources where this game's played out that way. But let's be efficient with our time and see what else happens. And inversely, you know, if he doesn't draw lands, be like, okay, let's see what happens if I would get out of here. So it's important to play real games and do non cheaty face stuff. But early on in figuring out if a card is good or not, I really like cheating. I don't know how you feel about this part, Spencer, before I get into the rest of it. Yeah, I think that there are i think it, i can actually think of a specific scenario where we did this where um we were trying to figure out the mono blue matchup with um gruels gone wild or uh, green red devotion as they call it you don't like gruels gone wild man that was but that was the name of my deck list I think that's a 2013 decklist name. <laughs> that I've ever it, heard one. I mean, that's what that's factual. That's just like. <laughs> uh, so we're we're trying to figure it out, and what we ended up what I what I ended up noticing is, um, like, there were a lot of flyers in that deck, like a lot of them, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. And I also noticed that they weren't very big, and so. We did exactly one, so this was like right before the event that we were all prepping for. There were like a couple of people not convinced to play this deck. And I was like, I promise it's good. They're like, I don't know how you could possibly beat Mono Blue. And I was like, no, like watch. And then we, I like put Gruul Charm in my opener uh, for a couple games and they literally could not beat the card. And they're yeah. like, oh. Okay, I, I guess we're playing this deck now because it has mono good matchups. Yeah, and I think that is a great example, right? And also, imagine if you played it and you just lost a bunch, right? Then it's like, oh, I've learned, and like now I know, like maybe this isn't the right card, but some other equivalent would have been the right card, right? Maybe you would have started with a pyroclasm and then ended up on Gruel Charm, right? So there's a lot of different ways to go about that, but I basically think players 
are just really rigid and like, well, we've got to play the games out exactly like how they play. And the goal isn't to play magic, it's to learn right now, right? Your goal isn't playing magic, it's learning. And so you should try to maximize learning above all else. This sort of leads to my next part, which is reflecting on the games we've played. Um, I think personally, I prefer to do it after every game or two. I know some people prefer to do it at the end of the session, uh, in the middle, however you want to do this. I just think this is an important part of reflect on what's happened and sort of what you think from both parties. I've had people where I worked with before, they like prefer to write it down. That's not my vibe, but that's totally fine. And then you compare notes essentially, uh, which I like doing in the form of conversation. So imagine, you know, once again, Spencer and I are playing the Recto Sack versus Mono Green matchup or whatever, right? And Spencer just goes, yeah, I feel like, you know, uh, Karn's the only card that matters, blah, 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 all these things. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I agree, except for maybe, you know, uh, or how about like, I, he thinks it's really good. And it's like, yeah, and I can't be to flip blue Chronos. And I'd be like, yeah, I have to be really careful against your claim. The firstborns when I do that, which is an important part to realize. Right. And so that like, even though like Spencer probably knows that too, it's a good to have that conversation about like, okay, this is sort of what's mattering because sometimes you're going to disagree and having that conversation is really important. Right. Let's say Spencer disagreed and it's like, I don't think Claim's that good. And I'm like, well, I have a lot of early aggression. I need the devotion. Even taking Claim plus an Elf with Village Rights could be good and like claiming and uthing it. You know, like all these things sort of come up. So while it's not broken, it's like pretty good. And even if we disagree or we don't come to the same conclusion, we both get a little bit out of it, right? And theoretically, Spencer would say his side of the argument too. Uh, and that is sort of like reflecting on it. And then also, in the past, we've talked a lot on the podcast about what the truth of the matchup is Hold and on. sort of the truth of what's mattering. Can we can we rewind for a second? Yeah. Just because yeah, I, I had something I want to say on that one is like, yeah, it, I, I think that Mason brought up a really good point of like everybody's going to work in their own way, and it's important to understand uh, how each other work when you're doing these type of things. Um, so, for for example, like if like. If, if one person's like, hey, can I take five minutes to, like, write down my thoughts or, like, can, to, like, decode my thoughts that I wrote down during playtesting, and then Mason's like, cool, can we have a discussion after that? That's, like, a really good communication tool. Um, and there are lots of ways to do this that I've found success with. Um, you know, you could even have, like, a, a layout of, like, key cards. Like, what were the, the what were, the, like, the top three cards that matter to the matchup? Like, what are the, like, what... Uh, like key turns on mana like what are the key important turns like things like that just having a list of those things to write down and help facilitate the conversation but it isn't necessary yeah so that actually what you just mentioned is part of the truth of the matchup so i'm going to pick up right where you were yeah, there go ahead. but i i really i think it's really important what you said there too so i'm glad you highlighted it uh working together and working with the person is important uh magic is a team sport uh anyways uh so what spencer just said there about like key turns uh key spots of mana, uh, choke points, like where is their deck clogged or whatever. These are all sort of parts of what we call the, on the podcast, like the truth of the matchup and sort of the keys to the matchup. The truth can often be like sort of how does this play out and how do these things interact is how we shorthand it. But what Spencer just mentioned are sort of are the truths, right? So for example, let's say Spirits and Pioneer right now, it's a deck girl are probably playing it's a lot. When they hit three mana, there's a lot of different combinations of things that can happen, right? Especially like four or five, sometimes two, where it's like spell color plus a slip out the back or spell color and a you know a lofty denial or double lofty or rattle chains lofty or rattle chains flash and a lore to beat your burn spell. There's a lot of different combinations, right? And a truth of the matchup might be 
when they can get to double spell, it becomes really hard for you to succeed if you're single spelling, right? Um, and like another truth might be like, you want to try and double spell against them, right? Or use their mana in a way where you, you can spell, spell again before they untap, right? So these are sort of things. And these can be figured out at any point. And I think they are like the thing that I am often, when I'm doing, as Spencer will call it, deck versus deck testing. Once I figure out how the decks interact against one another and line up on a big picture, I am down to move on if we have a lot of other things to get through. But if we're just focus testing one thing, once you figure out the truths, I want to like reflect on that. And then I want to try and see how true it is by changing up the way we play and also playing into it a little bit. And by what I mean by playing into it is be like, okay, like we think this is true. Let's stress test it a bit. And then playing around it, it's like, okay, we think the matchup gets really hard when three or four mana gets hit. Let's try to, you know, uh, sideboard in such a way that we don't have any four drops and we're just sort of super aggressive and we're going underneath you and I'm playing unlicensed hearse to have more two drops in my deck, you know, just crazy stuff like that, quote unquote, um, is really important to me. I'm curious what you think about that, Spencer, before I get to my last two points here. Yeah, I, I mostly agree with that. I, I think that, like, this is getting to the point of, like, you're, and we, we'll talk about it a lot, but, like, this is, so what Mason's describing is not, like, it's testing a deck. It's not even testing a map. Like, it is testing the matchup, but it's the matchup in the context of the deck. And you get you get bigger and bigger, right? Because, like, uh, it's kind of like a, like a zoom in, zoom out effect in playtesting, where you're zooming down to individual cards, you're zooming out to a matchup, you're zooming out to a format, right? And what you're doing is trying to get the most out of each of those zoom options to maximize your time because it's one of the, the key limited resources that you have in magic. Exactly. Um, the next part about this is flexibility when it comes to playing the games. Uh, I've already sort of tested your flexibility by telling you to cheat aggressively and do these things, but I want you even more so if you figure out a card isn't working and you both agree or you have a strong belief it doesn't work, do not continue playing with it. Change it, including mid-match. If like Let's say I'm playing versus Spencer and I've been playing a bunch of slip out the backs, right? And like mid game or whatever, I'm just like, man, slip out the back sucks. And Spencer's like, yeah, it's awful. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to play these as Fading Hope or instead. That's a card we were talking about, right? I'm going to start playing that turn as if all my slip out the backs are Fading Hopes. You know, if I draw one, it's a Fading Hope. And I just want to like chest those up. In some situations, I've definitely also uh, pretended a card is like split where it's like either a fading hope or a slip out the back. Yeah. Um, I, call, I call this the power of the Sharpie. This is something that Matt Clay and Casey Bloodworth, myself and Michael Hinderocker used to do all the time. Like this is the, this is something that we did constantly. Like mm -hmm. whether it's the split card, whether it's the like just mid game, be like, okay, it's one of the things that I, that I, that you have to do in play testing is not be rigid. So and one of the things that I mean by that is like, yes, it is important to get a the, the amount of data that you need to come to the conclusion and be confident in your conclusion, but it's not worth wasting time with a card that you already know is not working. The caveat to that is you have to go back and check your work. So like, is it mm -hmm. possible, like if Slip Out the Back was important in, as a key card in another matchup, you need to go back and say, Did, does these Becoming Fading Hub make this very different? Yeah. Yeah. Re reflecting on the work too is a, a thing I was going to mention later, but I probably won't now. So just what's Spencer just said there, very true. When you do change up the cards 
it will have cascading effects, right? So, you know, slip out the back, very good at removing, you know, a Cavalier of Thorns against Monogreen, and very good at saving your creature from removal spells. Uh, Fading Hope's going to be really good at removing Cavalier, and it can save your creatures from removing spells, but has big implications when it comes to how it does that, right? And the difference there is going to matter. And so it's good to go back and check those and see how it lines up. Does the damage versus them having to respend the mana versus the triggers, all these things matter. And you should at least be considering them heavily if you decide to stick to a change. But it's fine to make the change of Fading Hope and also be like, oh, this wasn't that good. I'm going back to slip out the back from now, and I'm going to do a Scryfall search later and try and figure out something new. Um, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, then sort of, I think my last point here is, and if there's nothing you get from everything I say, this is the most important part. This is to play more post-board games than pre-board games. In Magic is a mathematical truth that over the course of the tournament, you will always play more post-board games than pre-board games. No matter what, you're going to go one and one, and eventually you will hit a game three. And the moment that happens, you've now played more sideboard games than pre-board games. And so making sure you have sideboard plans that work is super important. Shows, shows what you know I to all, all my opponents, Mason. You show that it's equally important and you should spend <laughs> an equal amount of time on it. <laughs> and I swear, because I see, I, I coach, I interact with the average Magic player a lot. I love y'all. You do not test your sideboard games. And then you go to big tournaments and you're like, dang, our sideboard plan just didn't quite work. And it's like, you didn't work on it. So did, not I only did it not work, you didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you had one, it's just like, uh, technically speaking, you did. They brought in your rips. For yeah, I, I want to. I want to call out a couple of important things. Um, mm-hmm. There, there is an amount that is needed for what we're talking about that I don't think we've highlighted. So, one, you probably need a play dicing partner. This isn't going to happen for you on MTGO. This isn't going to happen for you on Arena. That's not the, the, those clients are made for playing games of actual magic against people, they're not actually made for playtesting. And that's really important when you think about this. So I want to talk really quickly about some of mine. Uh, Mason seemed to this one. I think that it's really important to highlight is that there is a difference between testing card or cards in your deck and testing a deck. And I also think there's a difference between testing a deck as far as like gaining an understanding of it and testing a deck as far as the viability of it. Those are different things. So like today, Mason played a teamer turns deck with the one ring. He was not play testing the deck against the format. He was saying, is does this have the Besejus I need to be viable? And like, that's just a different thing. But most of the time when people think of play testing, they're testing, they're learning the deck, they're learning the matchups that's that's part of playtesting, but that's those are different things. Um, testing cards, when Mason talks about cheating, that's usually because you're testing a card or you're testing a couple of cards or you're testing a card in a specific situation or you're testing a play pattern. Um, so, yeah. Anything you want to say on that? I know that you had a lot to say on that too, but... No, I think you nailed it. I mean... I sort of alluded to the other parts there, but I, I do think it's important. And I think the one thing I will say uh, at the beginning is if you don't have someone local, then MTGO and Arena might be your best options. And you won't be able to do a lot of the stuff we talked about, but there is still stuff you can do. And like, just try to find some way to start working without having to follow the game engine, if that makes sense, so strictly. But um, yeah. I just wanted to highlight that. But you do need someone like, 
even if it's just like Spencer and I are, are play testing and we're using Arena and Moto because he lives in Utah and I live in Tennessee, it's like, well, at least we have something going on there. But the highlighting point of you do need someone to at least talk to is important because you can't get this stuff from playing leagues. You can't get it from playing challenges. It's just not the same. Yeah. Uh, next thing on this note, though, you really need to test your cyborg cards. The number of, like, the I, I can think personally of the number of times where I, like, go to an event and I end up never sideboarding in, like, two of the cards on my sideboard. And it isn't because they, like, didn't have matchups that they were for, but it was like, it turned out that as I played game one, I realized the matchup was about something different and the card just didn't make sense. That shouldn't be the case. Like, that thing that Mason's talking about where it's like, you should have a sideboard plan. It's true, I had a sideboard plan, and I probably even tested some of that. But, like, I clearly didn't have the proper understanding of the matchup going into it. And I think this happens to everyone once or twice in their Magic career. Like, it's you're just going to make mistakes, but you'll make less of them if you actually test your sideboard cards. 100%. Uh, a really good example of this, though, I think the number of times where people, like, play ley lines just to play them and don't actually know, like, does, like, how important is it to mulligan to this ley line in this matchup? How, like, how many ley lines do I need to play? I was looking at my Facebook memories um, this week, and uh, it was GP Vegas where I played Naya Titan. Do you remember this Naya Titan deck, Mason, that I played? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it had, had Batterskull in your deck. I don't know. Did it have Batterskull? It might have been... Oh, maybe it was... I remember I was talking it about... Was the Nahiri. Titan, it was the Nahiri. It was the Nahiri. The, the yeah, Nahiri yeah, Titan yeah. deck. And, um, you know, did, did really well at that event. And one of the reasons that I wanted to play Naya was for Nahiri. But one of the things that I got out of that is I got to play three Leyland of Sanctities instead of four because I could just cast them. Like, just straight up could easily cast Leyland uh, of Sanctity in this deck. But that doesn't happen if I don't go do a bunch of Moto Leagues with Leyland of Sanctity, and if I don't play test paper with Matt testing Leyland of Sanctity. Um, it, it, it's just important. Like, you have to do it. Mason, I talked about that. Uh, I'm going to switch up some stuff here, the order of these for you, Mason. Because I also think that you should test way, probably way more games than you're typically testing. Um, I, I have historically done best of 11s, four main, seven sideboard, uh, like, you know, and when I say that, I don't mean like actually best of 11, you should just actually play all 11 games. Um, it's, and then just record records, who's going to play, who's on the draw that helps you come down to the truth of the matchup and helps you come down to like what's important, but it also gives you opportunities to, uh, see play patterns, things like that. This is, this is that section that we were talking about earlier of, like, I am now learning the not just the format, but my deck in the matchups. We're down to that microcosm here. And it also helps me understand my cards. I also think that, uh, based on talking about cheating, I also think that mulligans, people who mulligan weird, like, normally in playtesting, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you're just wasting time. Uh, I like to go 7-7-6-6-5. Seven, seven, six, six, I do think that playing games on five can be really important, but once you, if your five is bad, just go back to seven and restart. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in going to five once you believe in the deck. But if you're trying to test the viability of the deck, yes, like for example, 
Like, like it, it's important to note, like, why are you mulliganing too, right? So, for example, my the one ring deck today had a bunch of four drops in it, and I had to mulligan hands because of that. And I like acknowledge that, and that's like an important thing to acknowledge. But if it's like, am I going to five because I opened no lands in my twenty-five land deck three times in a row? It's like, I right, well, that's like the the math. I know twenty-five lands is enough. Like, I shouldn't have lands. It's just well, experience. not only that, but like it should be noted. Like, if you're mulliganing to five a bunch. Like is your is your deck just built wrong? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, and then yep. uh, you kind of covered this one. I like to change stuff constantly. Like, I think that uh, you had a moment on stream today where I kind of wish that you had just scribbled something out and wrote fire ice on a card. Uh, yeah, that that was a that's a viewer conception. Sure, uh, yeah. but but I do think that like. It is it is important to be flexible, as Mason said, and to be willing to one uh, I don't know get don't don't waste your time. I think that's the important thing here, and I think that one of the reasons that a, a podcast topic like this is so important is that we all know what it's like to have limited time, and especially when it comes down to things like this. Like we're talking about things that you can only, a lot of these things you can only do with another human. And that time is even more valuable, right? This isn't just time that you have with yourself. Like you're you're trying to maximize the time that you have with your playtesting partner. Yep. Uh, any Anything that you think that we missed, any tips that you would have for people before we kind of move on? I think there's a big one. That I meant to say earlier, and you just sort of alluded to it at one point. Like you said, you have to be willing to like work with them and figure stuff out. Another part of that, and like the changing of the cards, is that winning and losing doesn't really matter, right? Like think about the sample size that we talked about, right? Like it's just like for example, Spencer, it's just eleven games. Like you could play eleven matches of, you know, Rakdos Scam versus Four Color Control, and, you know, the results can be very skewed or whatever, right? And maybe there's something to that, but, like, the reflecting on why matters. But more importantly, being effective with your time matters, right? And so don't be frustrated, like, well, I would have won, but Spencer changed his Colgon's Command to a Terminate. And it's like, well, Spencer was going to continue to not play with Colgon's Command, it's going to play with Terminate. So, like, it doesn't matter that you lost one game, it's fine. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I think that's a big part of it, where it's like, don't be frustrated because these things might make you lose a game it winning and losing here doesn't matter winning and losing at the tournament's what we're working towards and we're working towards improving and learning even more so than that so that's a big thing that i have i don't know if you have any thoughts on that yeah this is something that i struggle with like a lot in smash bros and that i historically had struggled in magic for years um and sometimes sometimes i've caught myself falling into that trap again in in magic where i like I really just want to beat my friends because, like, I'm a competitive person. And I have to, like, take a step back and be like, wait a second. <laughs> There's no reason to feel this way. Uh, it's 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 the classic check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because, like, if you are getting emotionally invested in the results of these matches then or these games, then you are not approaching playtesting in the way that will, that will uh, produce the results that give you the truth of the matchup, that give you these things, right? Because you're more focused on winning than you are learning. So, I agree. 100%. I feel like I had one more, but I can't remember. Was there anything that you thought of while we were talking there? And if I forget it, then so be it. It's a Patreon content thing. You'll see it in the Discord. Yeah, I, I think that we covered 
most of what I wanted to talk about. I'm sad that uh, that Abe wasn't here. I think he probably would have had some stuff to add. Um, no, I, I think I think that we covered most of it. The this episode was a little bit different because we're kind of going off of like what we do individually, and rather than having like a set thing for the listener. And I think that that's good because I think that there's not a cookie cutter way to do this or else somebody would have written an article about it and everybody would do that, right? There are articles mm-hmm. written about this. There are videos made about this. There are things that you can do, but it's kind of about finding the balance that works for you, your playtesting partner, and for, you know, your time. 100%. I, I The thing that hit me is there's some amount of putting time in and work in. So I talk about this a lot in coaching. I have historically and do play a lot less magic than my contemporaries. Like a misplaced ginger is the example I always give. Ginger plays about 40 hours minimum of make go a week. Just we put in as 40. I do not put in close to 40 a week. Uh, and there is some amount of you need to put a lot of time in. It does have diminishing returns, but if you're going to play test to do stuff, set aside a good amount of time to do it. Like I would say at least an hour and a half is like the bare minimum to get a lot of these things down. Um, and understand that these things do take time. And even if you do all these things, you won't master them right away because you're going to have to learn how to work with your partner. You're going to have to learn how to do these things. You're going to have to learn the information. And you're going to make mistakes. Like, you know, we had Nathan on the show a couple weeks ago. Nathan's great. I think Team Handshake's the best team in the world right now. If they just added Paulo, they'd be unstoppable. And they had their Jeskai Dragons deck for the Arena Pro Tour that did middling. But going into it, they said it was the best. Like Nathan said, it's the best deck he ever played in Standard. We're so far ahead, essentially. And I, I believe Nathan really felt that way. I also think the data is more that wasn't maybe the case. Uh, well, maybe never know now because of the bannings. But an example of even the best get it wrong, right? And you're just going to have to do these things, and you will make mistakes. But those are just always improving learning moments. You'll get better at this with time. Don't give up. All right, that'll do it for our main topic. Mason, one of the ways to join the show is to become a patron. $5 or more, you get access to the Discord. It gives you access to the Patreon question. What is this week's Patreon question? This one comes in from Leo. Leo says, I'm a returning competitive player, and I made the decision to make some goals around getting to the Pro Tour, uh, smaller goals at the beginning, working the way to the Pro Tour one day. Uh, Leo's question is, do you have a favorite format when the season changed, are you happy to change of those formats, or is it a struggle for you? If so, how do you move past the struggle? Or do you just continue to play your best format and just play the competitive tournaments that award earning, uh, the reward that, uh, and maybe not tie it directly to the Pro Tour? So I really like this question, uh, Leo, for two big parts. One, uh, it acknowledges, like, well, first I should say, we're all Magic players. So you're going to have your preferences, right? Like, Spencer's going to like some different formats that I might like and vice versa, or we might both like the same format that Abe doesn't like, right? It's going to change up, and it's also going to change as the sets change, right? The formats change. Um, but I think a big part of, like, the the question here is, like, what happens when things change and it isn't something you super like? And my answer is I want to play pro tours and improve at Magic and compete, and that makes what I like about the format not really matter. I don't super like playing Pioneer at competitive stakes. I do not find it very fun. I love playing Pioneer when it's like Moto Leagues for fun or casually or for fun. That stuff is goaded. It's one of my favorite formats then. Competitive, not super excited. I still put the time in for the RC, even if that's the case. And 
you know, I'm going to play whatever those tournaments are. And so while I'll play other tournaments like 5Ks or something during RC Pioneer season, if they come up and they don't interfere with that, I am always going to kind of prioritize the Pro Tour over top of those things. But that's a personal goal, and you can choose whatever goals you want. There's no wrong way to do it. And I think some people at home, I'm not saying you are, Leah, but I know some people feel like there's only like it's either you're all on the Pro Tour or you're not. Things can shift and you can turn. Uh, that's my answer to it. Spencer, what is yours? Also, my favorite format is Modern. It's the GOAT. Yeah, so uh, there's – historically, I've always had favorite formats. Um, you know, it's been Modern at one time. It's been Extended at one time. It's been Standard at one time. Um, it might be – I don't know what it is right now. I don't know that I have a favorite format right now. I think they're all equally fine. Like, I, I don't think that there's, like, a bad competitive format right now. I think they're all just, like, pretty good. Um, it, it might be modern right now, but, uh, I'm not sure. The ring temps you. No, that's not why. <laughs> no, that's uh, true. when the season changes, deck and you were like, <laughs> I do like team decks. I, I do think that when the season changes, it's, I don't know. I've been playing magic seasonally so long. I prefer the seasons because it helps me focus and like, I think that let me answer the question this way. Uh, there were times where I took Modern Season off uh, when I really didn't like what Modern was at the time. This was like years ago, um, but there there have been times where I just didn't play Modern Season back in the day. Uh, that's not what I would do now because I, I think Modern is pretty great right now. But if you don't love a format, it's okay to not play a Pro Tour like. The thing is, is that playing every Pro Tour doesn't get you anything anymore, right? So, like, if you just don't like something and you're going to be miserable, don't do it. Um, however, I will also say that I don't think it's that hard to find something that you like about competitive Magic formats when you're a competitive Magic player. Um, that's just my take. Like, it, it is... I'm the type of person right now, my goal is to just go to the RCs. I have not decided, again, to, like, try really hard for a Pro Tour invite just because of family stuff. But I can certainly say that it's really easy for me to go into different things and understand the flaws in the format. Like, I like Pioneer a lot, but it really does kind of suck that it's, like, a format that is very play-draw dependent. And also you have to have certain cards because it's so play draw dependent, both in your deck and in your opening hands. And like, that is a flaw in the format. I still think the format's really fun. And I like, I think there's like a ton of viable decks in the format, but I can understand if that hiccup is like the thing that you don't like, that's just factually true about the format. That's not, that will not change unless they suddenly ban elf and ban like thought seas. Like that's just not changing. So I don't know if that's an answer to the question. <laughs> I feel like it is. I think, like, you know, the, the question to me, like, boils down to, like, one your favorite format, which obviously, I think, you know, you answered not really right now, you like them all a lot, but there have been times, right? And then the other part of the question is, like, what do you do when it's not your favorite thing? And I think you gave a vital answer of, like, well, you don't have to, and two, there's things to enjoy, right? I think another important thing that I get asked a lot in coaching is, like, how much are you willing to sacrifice in equity for fun? I think that's really a question that each individual person has to answer. But, like, you know, if you're like, eh, I'm not going to lose sleep if I miss the RC, well, then play the deck you enjoy more, you know? Yeah. Just, like, have a fun time. 
this is something that we, like makes I know that you you follow me on my private Twitter, but I uh, I was debating if I'm going to this next RC or not. Like if I want to try to even go, just because of one the I mean I think I've talked about it on the podcast one it's like the week before Christmas to the job stuff and like I just I need to like make a decision now and like in the next two weeks like that just has to happen now and I think that it's it's all personal like it has to be internal as to what your goals are and and you kind of talked about that at the beginning of your question right like your goal is to get to the pro tour so now it's about when do you want to take shots at that goal because like one of the things that you can't do is just burn yourself out on RCQs and quit magic like forever. Because that happens a lot where somebody's like, I'm never gonna get there, and like you just start playing worse and worse. Um or like building plateaus for yourself. It's really hard. Competitive magic's like a grind fest. And I think that people treat it like a marathon too often when or sorry, not a marathon, a sprint too often. Yeah, sprint. When yeah. it's really a marathon. Like uh, we had a local player named Marcy who uh, I remember we were we were playing uh, we were both playing in a RCQ top eight in the very first RCQ season and I think it was like I think it was like her 10th or 11th RCQ and she lost it was the last mm-hmm. one that she could play and she was really upset and I was like Marcy my friend Michael Hinderocker I think top eighted 16 or 18 PPDQs in one season before winning one. Like, it just happens. Like, it doesn't doesn't make you less of a player. And Marcy qualified for her first Pro Tour at this last regional championship. Like, it, Oh, is she the one who uh, drew a spike? Uh, possibly. Is that the same Marcy? Yeah, yeah. Hi, okay, it's the same. I, I was like, but this sounds like the person I know. Uh, I did some coaching with her. It, it's fine. I was just, I was like, this yeah, sounds Marcy's, like Marcy's, I've heard before. Marcy's pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it it's it's really going to be about what brings you joy because you will play better magic if you're happy you really will so mm-hmm. and that's one of the benefits of seasonal mpg like is that you get to do that so dang i so we talk i, I just want to quickly check in here because remember what would it be it would be three months ago we talked about the move to seasonal i've never had it like it's i've never had seasonal magic in my career it's weird it's really weird that it's all like I I'm, I still don't have a verdict on it. It's just weird to me. Like I'm so used to being like it's modern this week than pioneer than standard than modern modern pioneer standard modern standard and like the chaos of it all is just like such a part of it to me. And then now it's just like well we're on pioneer and you're gonna be for another two months. Yep, it's a it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, it, one of the other ways to support the show is to leave a YouTube comment. It is really helpful for the algorithm. Helps the show a ton. And Patty B says you can even play legendary spells into Chalice, referencing uh, Delighted Halfling. What what legendary spells do you think you could get through Chalice that you would care about? Well, uh, any one mana ones like Ragavan. There you, know. you go. Boom. Boom. Also, they might Chalice on two, and you got your Ren six. Oh, that's so, kind of you know. yeah. yeah, I was trying to think of two drops and one drops that are legendary, but it is. Yeah, I think those are the main ones I can think of right now. Right but now, infinite. I, that's the thing about half playing is they're not going to make stop making legendary creatures. The most popular format involves legendary creatures and legendary stuff. <laughs> they're going to make more. Yeah, I I think that uh, delighted halfling 
is delightful to watch being played as anything that I saw today. Uh, it can easily make colored mana like real easy, and then still is just like a ramp spell that doesn't a little mana dwarf that doesn't die to Ren and six. Yeah, I, I mean, like as long as your card isn't like color color something or like XYZ color, Halfling makes casting them super easy. Like, yeah. It's just not that hard. Yeah. Especially with like fetch lands. Like if this was a pioneer only card, I'd be like, eh, it's kind of tough. I don't know. But it's modern, baby. You got fetch lands. So those are some of the best ways Perfect. to join the conversation. Uh, don't forget to check out the P- Patreon Discord, the public Discord, as well as our Twitter at CCMTG. You can check out the Drafting Archetypes podcast here on the Constructive Criticism Network. Like, sub, comment, and review. If you want to find me, you can find me at Spencer13H on Twitter. And you can find me uh, as the time of this recording. Uh, I'm starting streaming up tomorrow, Mason. Tuesdays and Thursdays, talk to the wife. Uh, I something I wanted to do a while back, but I didn't want to just do MTG. I'm trying to figure out kind of what that's going to look like, but Tomorrow's MTG, I think the first couple weeks will be Magic the Gathering, but we'll eventually get some mm-hmm. Smash in there, we'll eventually get some uh, Star Wars games, Valheim, just all kinds of stuff. So, uh, And then yes. if you are looking for coaching and Mason uh, isn't your speed because he's too handsome, uh, just hit me up at spencerhowland at gmail.com. I intimidate with my handsomeness. It's a, it's, everyone's talking about it, but not around me because they're intimidated. Uh, that's why I know because no one's brought it up because they would have obviously already. Uh, if you want to reach me, you can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me each and every week over at Card Kingdom. This week I'm writing about only one ring decks in modern. If you've heard all this stuff, I'm going to have like five the one ring decks. Check it out. It'll be really cool. If you want to get uh, coaching, reach out via Twitter, which once again is Mason E. Clark. Uh, and then my Gmail is also MasonEClark at gmail.com. You can reach out to me there, put in the heading coaching. Uh, I do have availabilities open right now. There's a couple, so you can fit those in. And I have, uh, now that my internet's good enough, you can see me over here on the camera and stuff. I have been streaming uh, basically every morning at around, I would say, 8 a.m. has been the actual start time central. Uh, and I've been streaming right now just been modern. I, I have not wanted to stream Pioneer. Uh, one, because I pioneered it out Spark Joy and I had to play it a bunch for a while. Uh, but also because everyone's just playing Lotus Field and Dross Combo. And I was just like, I'm going to let everyone get that out of their system for two weeks. And then I'll come back and play some cool. I want to play some Verona. I want to do some stuff. So there's a lot of different stuff there. But we're going to do a lot of Lord of the Rings for the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be really fun. So hopefully see you there. And, oh, and uh, you can see me on the NRG coverage this weekend. So I'll be commentating that. Legacy. Hog. Mason, what did you learn on the show this week? Um, I learned that Marcy lives in Utah, which I didn't know. I didn't know that you knew her. It's a small world. I'm not 100% that it's the same Marcy, but, like, probably. It's, I mean, the, the odds of this, that that's not the case, then two girls with the exact same story both qualified for the pro tour at this last Marcy, which is incredible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's probably the same Marcy. Marcy's great. Shout out to Marcy. Yeah, she's been very nice. I bumped into her because of Spike was like, they were taking a picture together. I was like, I can take the picture for you. And then, you know, nice. and then she's like, oh, it's me. And I was like, oh, it's you. <laughs> uh, I learned that more people should read Managing Oneself HBR. Check it out. 
it's a it's a book about managing yourself, and it really helps with things that we talked about in playtesting and working with other people. So that is going to do it for this week's episode. Major shout out to Abe Stein. We missed you, buddy. Miss your beautiful smile and your love for ska music and your hat. We'll see y'all next week with another episode of Constructed Criticism. <laughs>